Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. All right. Good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. I'm Rachel Marshall and my co-host Bruce Wainer is with us this morning as well. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Rachel. As, as always, it's a pleasure to bring in people with fresh ideas on how people can actually build their wealth uh, outside of the traditional ways of the stock market, stocks, bonds, mutual funds. And, you know, it's, it has been refreshing, and I know George is going to talk about this, but it has been refreshing that there has been some movement in, in uh, Congress uh, for, with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and now the SECURE Act that has made it much more easy for individuals, what I would call uh, Main Street individuals, to invest in more in uh, things that are real, what I always say are real, like yeah. tangible, tangible assets and businesses, other mm-hmm. than rather than speculating re- whether Coke or UPS is going to do well this next quarter. So uh, right. it's, it's always exciting to have people that are in the forefront of this and, um, and we're an educational program. So George will um, educate us on the pros and cons of that today. Absolutely. So yes, today with us, we have a special guest, George Newberry. Now he is the CEO of AHP, American Homeowner Preservation. And I just want to tell you briefly about what this is, and then we will let George be able to articulate all of this and share the story with you. But this is about providing real investment opportunities in distressed mortgages as low as $100. And this really is to help families to stay in their homes, stop foreclosures, really to make a difference in families communities and stabilize neighborhoods as well. So again, kind of just Bruce, as you shared this idea of having an investment opportunity, something to find a way to plug your dollars into that's going to create cash flow for you as a part of creating time and money freedom. And it fits in that investment piece of the cash flow system. So we're going to go ahead and jump into the conversation this morning. So George, welcome to the show. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning, Bruce. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So share with us a little bit first, just your background, who you are, how did you come into the mortgage business, distressed mortgage note business um, to begin with in the first place? So it wasn't planned. I was actually a a mortgage originator. That was my first real job when I was about 25 in 1990. So 30 years ago. Uh, But after I I started that job, I I moved on to buying real estate. and I grew a fairly large portfolio. I had about 4,000 units across the country, including oh, wow. one yeah, uh, including one of the largest uh, complexes in the country, which is 1,100 units called Woodland Meadows in Columbus, Ohio. Now, all was going well. I, you know, I started with four units, and you know, uh, eight years later, I was buying 1,100 units. Uh, but wow. that, that property got hit by an ice storm on Christmas Eve 2004, and it created this uh, triggered this extraordinary sequence of events in which I lost everything and ended up $26 million in debt. So oh, that, that's painful. <laughs> yeah, it was not good. Uh, and I, and so to rebuild, I never filed bankruptcy. Instead, I, I found ways to settle with my creditors and, or, or not pay them at all, whatever was appropriate. Uh, and when I did settle, it was often a discounts. But I learned. I became pretty good at something that I didn't really didn't want to become good at, which was dealing with resolving 
unaffordable debts that I had. Uh, but I, I became pretty good at it. And this was all happened in 2005 and six. And in order to rebuild myself in 2007, 2008, I started hearing about the, you know, we all started hearing about the housing crisis that millions of families were going through the same exact thing, the same exact experience that I had. The numbers were smaller sure. generally, but they were still, you know, the same feelings. We all ended up broke. Uh, mm. And you have feelings of shame, embarrassment, failure. Where did I go wrong? Why did this happen to me? And mm. I thought I could use my experience uh, to help them. And I started American Homeowner Preservation. And it was originally a nonprofit. We were able to get our 501c3 designation from the IRS. Um, oh, wow. but, yeah, which was uh, cool. And, and, and we had a social mission, which was to keep, and we still do, to keep families at risk of foreclosure in their homes. But over time, we found that uh, if we made it a for-profit, we could keep the mission and actually accomplish it more efficiently because we had greater flexibility in how we ran our business and how, uh, what kind of capital and investment we brought in. And so what it evolved into is we would purchase pools of mortgages from banks and, and hedge funds. And we typically bought loans, first mortgages secured by homes in low to moderate income neighborhoods across the country. So average value of 75000 or less. So I'll give you an example. Okay. We started in Cincinnati, Ohio. So our first homes that we did this in were primarily in, in, in Ohio. And we'd have a home where someone owed 100000 And, you know, a few years later, now it's only worth fifty. And we would, we could purchase that mortgage for probably $20,000. And okay. once you buy it for twenty. dollars you have huge flexibility in terms of what you can offer uh, that homeowner. If they wanted to stay, we could forgive some of their delinquency. Lots of times by the time we bought it, they're a year or more behind, so they owe 10,000 plus. And we'd settle that for a flat lump sum of $2,000. Uh, their payment was probably, call it 800. We would drop it to 500. And the principal was 100. You know, we'd adjust it down closer to what the current market value was uh, of 50. And the other option is if they wanted to come up with all the money, they could settle it for a lump sum. We often said, hey, settle it for 90% of the current market value, so 45000 Again, they owe it 100 plus probably 10000 delinquency. Get us forty-five, and we're settled. We forgive the rest of the mortgage. And mm. we would offer these options, and we, the, mis the um, message is always, we're indifferent. Whatever you want is what we want. And by doing that, we found that we had, uh, it was very relatable and easy to grasp for the homeowners. Hey, option one, two, three. And, and we started putting this in a letter and it was a one page letter saying, Hey, we just purchased your mortgage. Here are the options, you know, modify lump sum settlement. And also if you don't want to stay in the home, we'll give you, or it's already vacant. We'll give you a thousand dollars and you sign a deed in lieu and then we sell the property. So those are the options, whichever you want to do. And it, it was, so simple and easy to understand hmm. that some homeowners would simply call in and say, Hey, I got the letter. I want to do option two. And then we just process okay. it. So there wasn't, we got rid of all the two years tax returns, bank statements, um, all the other uh, bureaucracy that many lenders and servicers have that makes the resolution process very, very difficult. In fact, if somebody were to call today and said, Hey, I want to do a deed in lieu, you know, we'd have it out we'd have the deed in lieu with a notary, with a check in front of them within a handful of days. And now they can sign the deed and they're done. And if they've already moved out of the property for them, that was, hey, 
thousand dollars, the rest of the debt's forgiven. It's a great resolution. So that's what uh, we evolved to. And and at this point, we've bought thousands and thousands of loans, and um, that's uh, that's. But we st- stuck with that core mission: keep families at risk of foreclosure in their homes, and offer them fair, transparent, easy to understand solutions that can be um, resolved to resolve these consensually uh, on an, in an expeditious manner. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I really like how you shared the example as well. I think that makes it much more understandable to somebody who maybe has not faced foreclosure and is not in a position of understanding what that might look like. And at the same time, I think we can all understand that people have needs in in different cert- certain situations that you find yourself, your needs are going to look different. Your options are probably really limited. And if you're coming in and providing an additional set of options that something looks really simple and they can move forward with whatever is best for them, that um, definitely can be a win-win. So you're winning because you are clearly profiting in that situation. The homeowners can win if they're in a position of not having to be in foreclosure or bankruptcy if they can avoid that. And then the investor as well is winning. So again, I know we're going to kind of piece together all these different parts. Um, But thank you for walking through that example. And so when did you guys begin AHP in its first stage? We started in 2008. Oh, you did. Okay. So so it's 12 years old at this point. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. It's been a while. So you guys have gone through then the Great Recession and Uh you've come into a different housing market as well. What does that look like? Uh, in terms of how business works for you with the boom and bust cycle of the housing market? Sure. We will do better in a bust. Uh, I mean, there's more need and assets are sold at, or or these loans are sold at at greater discounts. Today, it's tough to buy. Uh, You know, I just shared the example where we buy that loan, they owe a hundred, property values 50. We could buy that loan at 20, but over the last few years, those prices have crept up even on the, the lower income I mean, even on those um, homes secured at, or in lower income, na- sec- on those mortgages secured by homes in lower income neighborhoods, which okay. typically the big Wall Street funds don't want, which has created the, op- created the opportunity because they, they see it as a hassle, uh, litigation risk. It's easier just to sell them and let someone else resolve them. Then, I mean, the reality is we probably make five to 10,000 on our average deal. So, Big Wall Street fund saying, oh, great, you can make $8,000. Congratulations, George. No, they don't care about it. They're looking to make $50, $100 on a, on a, on a deal. And, uh, but they're these mm-hmm. crumbs that, that we buy. But those crumbs have become more expensive. So now 25, that, that same deal that I just described us buying for 20, now it's probably more like 25, maybe even creeping up on 30, just because oh. the market is so competitive. There's so many buyers. It's considered more predictable and there's so much cheap capital out there to buy these things that there's uh, the prices have gone up, just like with real estate or almost any type of asset in today's market. Uh, so we've done a couple things. One is, in order to, we one of our challenges for the last uh, ever since we've been doing this was servicing, and most states require that a licensed mortgage servicer. Uh, is the one that has the, all the contact with the homeowner in terms of talking about the modification, presenting the options. And so we would always quarterback different servicers and none of them were very good. So we went through nine different servicers uh, over about a decade. And finally, the last oh, one wow. I became so frustrated with that we said, uh, this is it. We're going to, we got to start our own servicer. That's the only way that we can execute our strategies uh, with the 
most effectively. Because what would happen is mo most lenders still want to get to your tax returns, bank statements, recent paycheck stubs, a hardship letter, all this stuff. And so now 90% of clients want that. And here's us saying, no, we want to make it much easier, streamlined. And even though they would say they could do it, the actual execution was problematic. So okay. we, now we can control it. So we've become a service or we're licensed in 47 states. We're very close to getting uh, the final three states and we'll be nationwide. We service our loans. We also service for third parties. And so while this market, this kind of competitive market exists, we are building out this uh, nationwide servicer. So we will better be better equipped to execute our strategies um, in a more scalable manner once the next downturn hits. So that, that's, a strat, that's what we're doing right now. And we, we, the servicer has become a, I mean, now we generate fees, not just from our loans, but from, uh, from those zoned by third parties. So it insulates okay. us a little bit from the, you know, if, if the downturn, people have been talking for the last 24 months that it's going to hit soon and it might, uh, but if it doesn't hit for another 36 months, our, our buying opportunities uh, would be more challenged. So this is a, a way to earn money in the interim using uh, uh, what we're good at. So in terms of being a mortgage service provider, licensed mortgage service provider, so does that just allow you then to receive um, ongoing fees is that what's the difference for somebody like me who's not in the mortgage industry? Sure. So if you have a mortgage, anyone out there who has a mortgage, they make a monthly payment and it could be to Bank of America, could be to NationStar, could be to Mr. Cooper, any of these, any of these companies are typically servicers or lenders that have servicing divisions. And they, uh, those servicers collect a, a small monthly fee call it 30, 40, $50 on average okay. uh, to collect those payments each month. And okay. those payments are then remitted to whoever actually owns the loan. So it could be a hedge fund, could be a bank, could be um, um, any type of, it could be a private party in some cases that actually owns the loan. So they are, they'll collect, call it a $500 monthly payment. They'll take their $30, the service will take it. And then uh, they'll send the 470 to the investor. So if the, if the mortgages are current and paying, it's fairly easy and it's fairly inexpensive. It could be less than $30. But as loans fall behind, as they fall into foreclosure, even in bankruptcy, the cost of service become uh, much more significant and the amount of effort okay. to do that um, effectively becomes much, uh, much greater. And so that's what we focus on. We focus on buying and servicing loans uh, that need um need to be resolved they aren't just paying we do we do have loans that pay but that's the minor the a much smaller number than the loans that are um, so george which which option <clears throat> when you present people which option do you see people take most often uh two if they if they want to stay in the home it's the modification more or less a third of the time if they don't want to stay or the home's already vacant uh they'll take the deed of lieu uh, and then there's a, a small sliver that'll do a lump sum settlement. And then the, the rest don't agree to any type of resolution. They either ignore it or we can't get a hold of them. And they end up going into foreclosure or sometimes they file bankruptcy. So it's roughly, yeah. roughly third, third, third. That was going to be my next uh, question about how it affects a person's credit rating. It, uh, they, they simply get settled for less on their credit rating when they... 
Yeah, so it depends on the servicer. If you service with a servicer that reports to the credit bureaus, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, any of the nations, sorry, any of the major ones, they will report to the credit bureau and they'll typically report it as um, settled for less than full amount owed, as an example. Uh, we don't report to credit bureaus. Uh, we do respond if someone, if we get a verification of mortgage, like someone's trying to refinance, uh, but we don't, uh, we don't report. And that's fairly common for Many of the special servicers is what, what we're called when, when we focus on the, uh, on the loans that are in default. That's great. Can we, can we now dive into the actual investment? You know, a person sure. that actually invests. And I, you know, you, there is a minimum of $100. Uh, uh, dollars. And, um, you know, it's kind of like the way the political scene's going now. You know, they raise more money from people that are giving like $20, $25, not these huge mainly because a lot of these want to stay off the radar and so on and so forth. But um, so it sounds like a great way to uh, raise money. But the other thing, uh, you know, I'm in St. Louis with a, a group called E3 uh, Wealth and everybody's focused on fees, you know, fees, fees, fees. Mm. So, you know, I'm sure you have some management fees that come in this and uh, what are the challenges? Well, first of all, I'm going to allow you to answer how the whole thing works. Sure. Then I'm gonna, I'd, I'd like to talk to you about some of the challenges coming forward, like maybe rising interest rates, uh, not enough uh, properties to actually find, and if that money's going to sit idle, you know, how are you going to get uh, a return back to your investor? Sure. All great questions. Uh, the first one is how do we, I'll give you the evolution, which will probably uh, provide some insight into answers to some of your questions. One, when we first started, we started with a head, we first just started. Um, bought loans one and uh, one by one with investors. Investors who partner with us, with us, private investors, would say, "Hey, I'm I'm in." They give us fifty thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars. We buy a loan or two or three, and uh, that quickly became, as we scaled, became unwieldy. It's tough to manage a whole bunch of individual relationships, and also we don't always win. If we buy ten loans, we'll probably win on eight. Oh, okay. And then we may lose on one or two. So what was problematic was, hey, we had some big wins and then there's a couple of losses and now what am I going to do? Now, at that scale, I simply covered, made sure the investor got their money back and got a, 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 a modest return um, and then we would just take it out of our cut on the wins. But when we created it, so the, the, this directed us to the best option here was to create a fund. So those 10 loans are in there. We win on eight, we lose on 10. All the investors share in the, in the, um, in the rewards. And we were originally set up as a hedge fund and our minimum investment was $250,000 and it was accredited investors only. Okay. Also back then we couldn't do any marketing. So we were simply introduced to, we'd have to go to friends and family and then there at people they would introduce us to uh, in order to raise money. So Hey, Jorge, modest, just modest one, scale. one uh -huh. second, just for our listeners, one of the reasons you could not um, advertise is because uh, of the accredited investor rules. Exactly. Uh, for people that are wondering that uh, you, you can, and you won't see that out there in the industry because um, you have to make sure these people are accredited investors for the SEC. Now there's been some loosening and I think you might be like a regulation A, a or A plus a plus. Right so we've evolved. Yeah, exactly. So we started it as a, as a, I think it's a um, reg D offering and that was, you know, 10 years ago. And we, um, and that's when there was no general solicitation. It was much more 
kind of, if I talk to the media, if I talk to you, I couldn't even tell you what our returns are. I could just say, hey, here's our strategy. Yeah. Very, very loosely. Mm. But I heard about something in 2013, early 2013 online. I saw this company uh, that was, I was raising money online for real estate investments using crowdfunding. Now, I never heard of real estate crowdfunding. And I thought, this, I think something's wrong here. Like, this is a, either they don't know any better or this is some kind of scam. Uh, but I did a little research and it found out that they actually, that they were, um, that it was legitimate. I took, I went through, I actually made a small investment, took all the documents to my attorney and said, Hey, can we, can we do this? And this was early 2013. And the jobs act, as you mentioned, had what had come into play and was about to go into play even greater. They kind of staged it. So 506 C, uh, was, um, made available to issuers. We were technically an issuer and that is, um, became available in September, 2013. So we were hustled to get it done. We were trying to get it done in September. We actually went live in October, 2013. So we were one of the first ones to offer under 506C, which basically allowed us, we could still only raise money from accredited investors, uh, but we could have a website. People could go online, invest, and we could kind of, we could generally solicit. We could advertise, talk to us, talk to people about our returns, about our, our, um, our strategies, our successes, our failures. And that was, um, and now people started investing online. It was very, very small at the beginning, but we did raise uh, a number of, um, I mean, the first fund we raised about 4.4 million, which was, um, uh, and a lot of people that were in our prior fund simply were the investors. And then we picked up some new investors, minimum investment, $10,000. Now we did four funds like that, uh, all 506C, all accredited investors only. Uh, and then we heard about another phase of the job act that was being implemented, which was uh, regulation a plus and we regulation a plus I think is, is just an awesome um, vehicle. And what it does, it allows issuers. So investment opportunities to be offered to not only accredited investors, but also non-accredited investors. So all of a sudden we could, this offering was available to almost anybody, whereas accredited investors make up, more or less, or 5% of the population, three to 5% of the population. Now we could market to 100% of the population. And that was um, really exciting for us because we always, it always seemed a little bit awkward where, you know, we're raising money from the rich to help those of more modest means. Now, those of more modest means who maybe were helped by our program could say, hey, I want to participate. And we say, oh, no, you just, all you can do is put your money in you know, the savings account or some limited or buy stocks and stuff like that. Mm. Now they could actually participate. And we thought we saw others that were launching. We were the 16th um, reggae fund to, to go live and raise money. Uh, but some of the others, they were setting their minimum investment at 10,000, 5,000, a few were at 1,000. And we said, well, we want to be the most accessible investment out there. So first we said 250 and then someone suggested, why not just make it a hundred? And we said, well, let's try that. So we did a hundred. And the reality is, that a hundred dollars, uh, we probably lose money when we take a hundred dollar investment. I, I, we do, uh, because the cost to administer, uh, that is disproportionate to the amount we've raised. However, it's become a, an extraordinary marketing tool because a lot of people still are new to crowdfunding. And back then, uh, this is 2016, especially not accredited investors were this for many people was their first crowdfunded investment. And when they're going through that process, they were probably thinking, just like I did when I made my first crowdfunding investment, like something, is this really, 
legit? Is this right? right? Now, the good news is with Regulation A+, you actually have to go to the SEC first uh, before you raise any money, and they have to qualify your offering before you can raise your first dollar. And so and we I'm could, sorry, Jorge. Um, uh, I, I want to point something out again to our yep. listeners. A lot of people think the SEC approves offerings. No. They do not approve the offering. All they do is qualify the offering, and that's a, that's a huge difference because of, people think the SEC is like going through the, all these paperwork <laughs> and say, oh, yeah, you're going to make money here. You're, gonna, you're going to appreciate value or you're going to get this uh, cash. All they do is qualify the offering. So that, I think that's a really uh, good educational uh, point that we can make to our listeners right here. Yeah, I use qualifying, but I, have, I, I, I use qualified and I, I've trained myself to use it because it's very simple, it's very easy and I catch my employees, you got to say qualified, you can't say that they approved because it implies exactly as you said that they reviewed it and said this is a good investment. They don't do that. Qualify simply means that they've gone through it and made sure that you've complied with the Regulation A plus um, offering rules. And if you do that, then you can offer, and then it's up to the investors to decide on the merits of the deal whether this makes sense for them to uh, to invest in or not. And so you're absolutely right. Uh, so we did our first Regulation A plus offering. We launched in June 2016. In our first month, I think we raised about half a million, so good number. But uh, we're allowed to offer for two years. In the last uh, month of the offering, we raised over $10 million. So you kind of see the evolution where, you know, it, it picked up steam. By the end, we had over um, 1,250 investors in the fund, many repeat investors. And back to that $100, many, many investors started out with $100. And they're going through the process just thinking, okay, well, $100, you know, that's, that's okay for me to risk $100 and just see where this thing goes. But we've mm -hmm. seen literally $100. There's one investor I know who started out with 100 He's now invested over a million. He's now invested over a million dollars with us, and that's one investor. And so that is, it's, it's for anyone out there. I always say, do the high, if you're thinking about doing a regulation A plus offering, start with a hundred dollars because it, it's your greatest marketing tool because it gives people the ability to kind of test ride and see if this is something that they um, that they want to participate in long term and in greater numbers. I really love how you answered that question fully, and I think uh, Bruce, you segued into that really well. Um, how does this work then? And then what about the fees? And does that even make sense for you on the $100 element? But so then it, what does that look like in terms of what types of returns are you getting for investors? How is that working? What's the time frame? What's the liquidity like for those investments? Sure. Fees. So we don't charge any fees. Uh, we, in our prior, when we were a hedge fund, we charged a management fee. When we ran it as a 506C, we ran a man, we charged a management fee, but when we moved to regulation A plus, we wanted to make it as simple and easy to understand as possible. And so what we do is we pay, uh, in our first fund, we paid 12% to investors. That's what they get. There was nothing offset, no fees that were offset against that. So basically that equated to a 1% per month uh, return. And that, uh, the newer fund, which is AHP servicing, which, uh, allows us to raise money not just for to buy loans, which is primarily what we do with the money, but also to build out our servicing operation, that pays 10%. And just to see the timeline or see the trajectory, we anticipate launching a new fund later on this year. That'll probably be more like 7%. So as the demand grows and, uh, and just the, the return environment today, uh, it makes sense to, it, it, there's a downward trajectory. Uh, and that's what investors get. We pay out, we distribute monthly. 
Uh, there is liquidity, but it's best efforts liquidity. We're not, we can't guarantee that we'll return the money. If, but in our documents, it says that if you need your money back for any reason, you request it, you can request it. And within 30 days, we will undertake our best efforts to return the money to you. And historically, we've been able to do that. And, but there is a, a consequence to doing that. So if you do that in the, um, in the current fund, you get a 10% return and you're paid that distributed each month. But if you do request the money back in the first year, that return goes from 10 to eight. If you do it in the second year, it goes from 10 to nine. So you can still get a healthy return, uh, even if you need your money back early, but it is um, less than you would get if you left it in there for two years or more. If you, if you uh, redeem it any time after two years, then you get to keep the full uh, 10%. You know, so then uh, the way that your company makes with it, I mean, there's, there's maybe no management fees is what you're saying, but the way your company makes money is then if you do a good job and you get 12% to your investors, then anything above 12, 12%, then your company gets to keep. Exactly right. So, so you're, you have a lot of incentive to make sure your investors get their 12% because you don't get paid until they get paid. Absolutely right. And, and this is the way that this evolution of these type of funds have gone um, because before now, I'm not talking about the regulation uh, A-plus funds, but the regulation D funds for our listeners, and they still, they're still uh, uh, around, but there would be a heavy load at the beginning. So they might take, uh, the company might take 3.5%, 5%, 6% at the beginning. So if you invested 100000 uh, you might go down all the way to 94000 uh, at the very beginning, and then there would be an ongoing management fee. And then they would hope, hopefully then, give you a return after that. Um, and there could be some appreciation on the backside, so on and so forth, but to overcome that load at the beginning was, was becoming very much more difficult. I'm really excited about these. Not only has the Regulation D changed the way they're doing it, they probably have changed the way they're doing it because of the Regulation A+, plus, huh. um, is that the investor now knows that there's the, the fund managers themselves, the directors, all these people, they have skin in the game. And when they have skin in the game, they have an incentive to give you your money back first in an investment because they don't get paid if they don't get it. Exactly. So I wanted to make sure that everybody understood that. Uh, the one thing that I've noticed, Jorge, and I don't know if you've noticed this because we do offer these uh, Regulation A plus mm -hmm. and Regulation Ds, is now the next, the next evolution um, which you might and now that I understand that the returns are going downward like you talked about But one of the things you may consider in future offerings is contingent interest on the backside and uh, Those are becoming very popular within uh, our investors to say hey, well, wait a minute. Yeah, I'm getting my 7% but uh, The company's not keeping their entire amount over 7% They're saying we'll share with you mm. some of the increase yep. on the background or the backside so that's become, hey, yeah, okay, so they're not going to get paid until, and we could actually get some appreciation on the backside too. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't even have to be that much. It could be, you know, uh, we're going to share 10% of the profits on the backside or 12% of the profits, but that's becoming, I don't know if you've seen those, but that's becoming. I more. have, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's excellent. And I really appreciate you sharing how this whole thing works. When you're working with um, the homeowner, what is the time frame that they're executing an option within? So ideal, the sooner the better for us. Uh, I mean, time is cliche, time is money, but the faster we can get to a resolution, uh, the, the greater our return typically. 
and really the better for the homeowner. Uh, as soon as we start spending money on legal fees and stuff like that, or even don't spend money, but the, the, the asset sits around, we've made that investment and it's not getting resolved, you know, our returns diminish. So we try to uh, get it resolved fast and turn, the, essentially you're turning the money. If you get a deed in lieu, you sell the property 45, 60 days later, you get the money back, you've made a return and you can reinvent, redeploy the money and redeploy it and redeploy it. If you only turn it once a year uh, or once every two years, then you're, you know, that's going to diminish your returns. Uh, if you can turn it rapidly, uh, that is, um, that would spike your return significantly. Also, uh, Bruce mentioned earlier, if you can't deploy the money, if you have money sitting in the bank, uh, that is earning little or nothing, that will drag your returns. And we're very conscious of that. We've had that problem in the past where money's come in too fast. We've had to stop accepting money a few times. And Well, oh, that's good. That's good for our listeners to know that they stop yeah. accepting money. Because what typically a, a bad fund would continue to take that money, and then not only, not only do they have a return on that money, but the other thing that is really bad is they have pressure to deploy that money. And when you have pressure to deploy that money, you make bad deals. Yep. We've talked a lot about that on other or our other uh, podcasts is when you, when you do deals just to do deals, mm -hmm. those are generally not good deals. So that's good for our listeners to hear that part um, that you don't just, you will stop taking money if it doesn't make sense. Absolutely. Yeah. You could always put deploy the money if you can't deploy it with the expectation of a, a healthy return, it just doesn't make sense. You're going through the motions just to go through the motions. It, it ends up being unrewarding. So we have, uh, we try to keep it very, very lean. I and mean, my C CFO gets kind of frustrated with me right now. It's like I carry minimum, minimum reserves. And, uh, but it allows us to, to just deploy all the money. And if we need the money, if we need more money for some reason, we can turn on kind of um, do an email saying, hey, we got the, for instance, we have a big deal coming up in a month. We don't, but if we did, we can start sending emails to our investors. Hey, we have this big deal coming up and that'll uh, um, increase the rate, the um, rate of new investments coming in. So or, you don't or, use any line of credits then for a, a potential deal? We have, we prefer not to, uh, but we have in the past uh, and we don't have, because of the type of assets that we buy, we can't go to a bank and get relatively cheap, um, cheap debt. So we need to go to a hedge fund and so we do. So we have a great deal and we've had this happen a few times. We, and we don't have enough money, we'll go to a hedge fund and borrow money and then pay it back as fast as we can. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the money's usually out there for you know, less than a year and sometimes you know, less than just a few months. Uh, but we have done that in the past. But it's not... No, it's not ideal. It's not ideal, um, but it's appropriate. When, when, when the good opportunity is there, mm -hmm. uh, you don't want to lose the opportunity, so it's worthwhile to do. Uh, we just haven't... The problem is... Or not the problem, but you know, typical real estate deals, lots of times there's banks that have comfort in providing leverage for them. But when you have distressed mortgages, especially distressed mortgages backed by loans that are of lower value, it's their most um, banks are not interested. So we have to go to hedge funds, which understand it and will provide us uh, leverage, um, especially on short term at reasonable rates. Pretty much the same that we pay to investors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's excellent. And I, I appreciate you answering that question just in terms of what time frame you're working with the homeowners in because that's going to then reflect on your returns that you have Absolutely. within your company and then what you're pushing down to investors as well. So I think if nothing more, nothing less, we have really, um, I think you've probably piqued the curiosity of a lot of people who are saying, I didn't know that this type of thing was possible with a $100 investment. I, and I'm sure that that um, is something that's resonating with some of our listeners right now. And they're saying, hey, if this is something that I could do with a small investment, then 
than what is possible for me if I, if I invest this way. So um, if somebody is interested to find out more information, where do they go to get that information during this current fund that's open? Sure. It's ahpservicing.com. So ahp, the word servicing.com. And uh, you, there's an invest now button up in the, in the top right and you invest in, uh, and, and uh, get started right away. Again, minimum $100. That's it. Um, you can be set up in, I think it takes, if you're, if you're paying a lot of attention, you can probably invest in two, two and a half minutes. So it's a very fast process. Again, just like the homeowners, we want to have an expeditious process, easy process. We've tried to do the same for investors. That's excellent. Well, I appreciate you sharing your story and your journey with us and your investment opportunity and just how it's helping people. I knew, I do know that from going to your website, you can find success stories as well of what the homeowners have gone through and how they've been able to stay in their home as a result of the work that you're doing. So I sincerely appreciate just the, the goodwill that you're putting out there into the world. And again, you mentioned you're investing in or that you're licensed to do business in 47 states. So that's a a, a growing um, opportunity as well. So we'll make sure that we have the link in the show notes as well. So ahpservicing.com. Bruce, any questions or comments in closing? No, I think, uh, the, uh, like I said at the very beginning, I'm, I'm really excited that our, uh, our government is moving more towards these types of uh, opportunities for what I would call more mainstream uh, America because um, I think this is a real, real people working real one on one with each other, and I think the, we can keep it at the local level. It's always the best. Absolutely agreed. That's excellent. Well, thank you so much, George, for being with us on the show today. Again, you can find information about American Homeowner Preservation at ahpservicing.com. And for our guests in closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.